Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. Happy 4th of July weekend, everybody. So glad that you guys are here today. For everybody that's tuning in online, watching at the lake, we are all jealous because we are not at the lake. Uh, Listen, it's so good to see you guys. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Journey, and it's my honor and privilege to be the pastor here. I'm so glad that you have come to worship with us 4th of July weekend. We're going to continue in our summer study session called By Faith. And here's what we're doing in this series. Um, We're unpacking some some people that Scripture records for us. And we're going back into uh, the, the, the Bible to learn about their stories so that we can learn how to live by faith. And the reason why we need to learn to live by faith is because when we face obstacles and opportunities in our life, the way that we get through them, the way that we get over them, the way that we get around them in a way that pleases God and brings hope to the situation is when we choose to do it by faith. Now, what is faith? Now, if you have been with us for a little while, then you know it. So say it with me. Faith is what? Faith is believing something is so when it, because, that sounds so good. Let's do it one more time. Faith is believing something when it, because, That's right. That's what faith is. And so what we're learning is, is we're learning through the lives of these people that Scripture records for us. We're learning how to take this out of this ethereal, philosophical, wordsmithy, sounds fun to say out loud kind of thing. And we're learning how to bring this down to our lives in a practical sense. And thankfully, God has given us so many examples of people in the Bible who live by faith. Today, we are going to be talking about and studying what I would argue is the second most important person in the entire Bible. The most important person is Jesus. Um, he, he, gets, he, gets the, 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 he tops the charts as the most important. But the second most important person that we're going to study today uh, is a man by the name of Abraham. Now, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we're going to flip back to Genesis chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, for those of you that are super old school like me, uh, when it comes to church, like you've still got your paper Bible, go and open it. Otherwise, dial it in on your smarter than you device, and let's get ready to rock. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. If you were with me today, let me hear you say, "By by faith. Here it is. By faith. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, and by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So what's going on here? Let me summarize what this is saying. This is saying that that there was a man named Abraham who by faith left where he was and went to where God was leading him, but God did not give him the destination. God didn't punch in the coordinates on the GPS. God just said, follow me. And Abraham kept taking wrong steps and, and God kept saying, recalculating, recalculating. I'm trying to get you where I want you to go. And then he got there to that place, and instead of just kind of passing through, he decided to to settle into that place and, and make it his new home. But what's interesting is this last verse, verse 10, it says, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What is this all about? This is a reference to something that, that, that Abraham knew all the way back in Genesis, 
that we, the readers of the Bible, don't find out about until the end of the book in the book of Revelation. And this is a reference to the fact that Abraham's eyes were on a foundation. It was a different foundation than any city that he could ever go to because his eyes and his hope was on something that was yet to come. It was on something that God was promising him and that the book of Revelation ultimately refers to as the new heaven and the new earth. It's what's gonna happen when when all of time comes to an end and God closes this chapter. It says that in the book of Revelation that God is gonna bring down a new heaven and a new earth and time will be gone and eternity will begin and then those who believe in Jesus, who have trusted in him by faith, will dwell with God for all of eternity in this new heaven and this new earth. I can't wait for that. Um, It's gonna be a lot better. Okay, there's not going to be a lot of partisanship. There's not going to be a political division. There's going to be one perfectly righteous king who will always be right and everybody will know it. Does anybody look forward to that kind of a day? Amen. Um, and so Abraham, what this is telling us is that Abraham, all the way at the beginning of the book of Genesis, Abraham was aware God had given him a hope, a reason to hope for something that was going to come not to the end of the book of Revelation. But what is going on with the rest of this? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 and let's learn about this dude named Abraham. Now, as you turn to Genesis 12, let me provide just a little bit of historical context. Last week, we studied a man named Noah. Abraham comes 10 generations or roughly 400 years after Noah. It gives you a little bit of time stamp of what's going on here. And as we open and study about the book of Abraham, or as we learn about Abraham, what we're going to learn is that God is going to show up to this man who theologians and scholars believe that Abraham was not a follower of God. He was not worshiping God at the time. Instead, they, he was in all probability what they often call um, a pagan idolater, which is a, a really smart sounding way that he worshiped other gods who were false gods. But God shows up into Abraham's life and he gives Abraham a command. But as is so often the case, God brings, God shows up in Abraham's life and gives him a command, but then he, he accompanies that command with a promise. And this begins to establish something that as you read through the pages of scripture is a fairly consistent trend. It doesn't always happen this way, but it is one of the consistent trends in scripture that when God shows up in somebody's life, he gives a command And then he gives a promise. And I want you to understand today that if you are here and have at any point in your past or in your present, God shows up and intersects into the story arc of your life. He intervenes into your life and he gives you a command. You need to know that when he gives you a new command, it is accompanied by existing promises that already exist. They're found in God's word. And part of the reason why so oftentimes we are hesitant or reserved in obeying God's commands or following God's commands is because we have not been become a student of God's word so that we can become aware of the promises that God has already made. You see, for Abraham, God brought a a command and then he gave a promise. For you and me, God has already given promises and he shows up into our lives to give us a command. This This is the advantage we have of having the written word of God preserved for us. We get into Genesis chapter 12 and we begin to learn about Abraham. Let's start in Genesis 12 verse 1. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, stop. We're seven words in and I need to already do some teaching, okay? So this word Lord is, um, sometimes people ask me like, does God have a name? And sometimes people go, yes, his name is Jesus. And that's not a wrong answer. But does God have a name? Does he have a proper name? And the answer to that is yes. 
In the original Hebrew language, when we read through the book of Genesis, we begin to find that God's proper name is a word that perhaps you've heard of before, maybe you haven't. It's, it, his proper name is Yahweh. And what the writer of the book of Genesis is doing, his name is Moses, he writes Genesis, and he's writing this to kind of record what has happened so far. And Moses writes this to an original audience, and he does something very, very specific here. To my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, this is the second time that the Hebrew word Yahweh is used in the Genesis account. The first time the word Yahweh is used is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, when Genesis chapter 2 begins to recount everything that Genesis 1 says. And it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, Yahweh created all of the heavens and all of the earth. Now what the writer of Genesis is doing right here is very intentional because this is written to a people group that some of them worship the one true God, Yahweh. Some of them are worshiping other gods. And the writer of Genesis is what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, you need to understand that the Lord that came to Abraham was Yahweh, the same God who created all of the heavens and the earth. I don't want my original audience to miss this. God doesn't want us to miss this, that he's intentionally connecting a dot here of which God we're talking about. Here's the second thing that I need to teach you. You're going to find, if you read the book of Genesis, that most of, at least half of the account of the, of the life of Abraham, he goes by this name, Abram. This is intentional. He, his given name is Abram, but God does something that happens with some regularity in the story of the Bible, that at some point God changes his name. The word Abram in a time, uh, name means exalted father. Now, this is significant because in this time, people didn't just give names like Larry, Bill, Joe, Frank, right? There's nothing wrong with any of those names. But this was a time when people gave very descriptive names. A name meant something. When people hear my name, it's, it's a whole story arc. Jer what? Jer huh? How do you spell that? Can you say that one more time for me, please? Okay, that sounds great. Is it Jergenston? Nope, that's not right. Jeriquin? Nope. Jergens? Not. It's a whole story. And then before they get the name, they go, well, well what does that mean? And I, can I just tell you, I don't know. Nobody in my family knows why I, what my name means. It's just a weird collection of names. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right now. When I was a high school kid and I moved to Arkansas, that you have to understand where I lived in California, um, from Arkansas to California, um, I lived in a melting pot of communities. Okay, there was no real majority from an ethnic diversity standpoint. It was a melting pot. And let me just tell you something. When you see the name Jernigan and Schwent on a paper, and then you see me, and I tell you I'm from Arkansas, none of it makes sense. All right? None of it does. But his original name was Abram, which means exalted father. God eventually changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And that'll make sense when we get to the end of the story. And so for the rest of our time together, I'm just going, even though the scripture might say Abram, I'm going to say Abraham. I don't want that to be confusing to you. All right, this is what happens. God shows up and he tells Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, this is significant because what God is doing is he's giving Abraham three commands. It's all under one umbrella of this idea that you gotta go. 
But he's very specific in what he calls out. First, he says, I want you to get out from your country. Abraham, I want you to leave the place that you were born. I want you to leave your native homeland. I want you to leave your, 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 your place that you're familiar with. I need you to get up and get out of this regional part of the world because I'm taking you somewhere new. Then he says, I need you to get up from your family. I need you to be willing to leave the, the, your clan, your relationships, the people that you know, that you love, that you care about. I need you to be willing to leave them because I'm going to take you someplace else. And I'm going to give you a new family. And then he says, I need you to leave your father's house. Now, Abraham's father had recently died. Abraham has taken over the responsibility of the family. He has a responsibility and he has a leadership role in the family. Now, this is something that doesn't, again, sometimes stuff gets lost kind of in the time and the age that we live in. But to, to try to draw a little bit of comparison, I, I want to paint a little bit of a morbid metaphor if I can, but I'm going somewhere with it. I want you to imagine for a second um, that your mom and your dad own a, a very successful family farm. All right, and, and the whole family works for the farm and you employ lots of people from around the area because this is the source of business for all the people. And your mom and your dad die. And you are the oldest and you take on the responsibility of being the executor of their estate. You also take on the responsibility of running the business. In addition to that, your, your, your family, your siblings, your cousins, your aunts and your uncles, everybody's kind of looking to you to kind of lead the way. How are we going to navigate this as a family? And how are we going to navigate this as a business? And where are we going? And what's our livelihood going to be? This is the situation that Abraham is in. And God comes into that situation and says, listen, I need you to get up and get out from all of that. Now, listen, this is no small ask. This is not something that, that, is, that is just a small thing. In fact, in this time, the only types of people that would ever just get up and go from, from this kind of a situation are either people who are poor because they don't have any land of their own. They don't have anything that they can control. And so they're moving from one place to the next to the next to try to um, uh, find a place to work. So the only people who do this are either the poor or people who are fugitives, people who are running from their lives. But Abraham is neither of those things. And God comes to Abraham and says, listen, I have a three-part command that I need you to follow. But I want you to notice the promise that God gives. He says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a remarkable promise. God is telling Abraham, listen, man, if you'll do this, I'm not just going to make you a great man. I'm not just going to make you a great business leader. I'm not just going to make you, uh, your, your family great. I am going to turn you into an entire nation. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And not only that, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it so that everybody who blesses you, I'm going to bless them in return. And everybody who curses you, I'm going to curse them in return. And through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Very curious, the promise that God gives, particularly that last part. We'll come back to that in a minute. But check this out. What does, God, what does Abraham do? Abraham hears this, and we don't know if Abraham spent some time going to talk to his mentor, if he went and talked to his, you know, his friends, and uh, maybe took to you know, old school social media. You know, Let me take a poll. How's everybody feel about this? No, 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 that's not what he does. The very next verse says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. So what does he do? Abraham goes, okay. 
He grabs his family, those that are close to him, and Lot, his nephew, and he grabs his possessions, the stuff he can carry with him, and Abraham is up and out. Interesting that this happens. When Abraham, the journey is fairly up and down, but Abraham goes without having a destination dialed into the GPS. He is just doing his best to follow where the Lord leads. Let me just ask you, um, particularly, go back to when you were in high school, going into college, age, young adult life, right? And imagine your mom and your dad saying, hey, uh, son, hey, daughter, um, what's your plan? You know, they're looking to know, like, what are the steps? What are you going to do? How are you going to get there? And you just go, I don't know. I'm just going to trust the Lord. Just going to follow where the wind blows. Your mom and dad at that moment are going to be very freaked out for you. If you are in high school or roughly college age at this point in your life, and your plan is still just going to, going to, it's okay if your parents are freaking out a little bit because they're trying to figure out how you're going to eat. But Abraham's plan is, I'm just trusting the Lord. Now listen, I don't want to demean that. Sometimes that's a good plan if that's how God leads you. I have just found that a lot of times people just say, I'm just going to go where the wind blows because I haven't really taken a lot of time to think about it. I would not advise that plan. If that's the plan after a lot of prayer, then go for it. Otherwise, I would encourage you to have some steps along the way so that you can have some food along the way. Amen? Abram eventually gets to the land that God leads him to. He gets to the landing spot. And this is what God tells Abraham in Genesis 13, verse 14. He gets to the end and he says, Abraham, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Look north and south and east and west. For all the land you see, I give to you and to your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust on the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. He's saying here, like, I'm gonna give your family tree is going to be so big and so massive and so expansive that there's gonna be so many people that it's gonna be impossible to number it. Unless somebody was so bored they wanted to count how many dust particles are on the earth, that's about how bored somebody would be, have to be in order to try to count how many children are gonna be in your family tree. Then he says this, verse 17, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. God delivers on the promise. He gives Abraham a land and he says, I'm promising this land, not just to you, not just to your family, not to your kids' kids. This is a promised land that I'm giving to you and your descendants forever. So God makes this promise. He begins to deliver on the promise. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, um, they begin following him and and they begin to reach a point where they get old and they get frustrated because in order to have a family tree, you need to have kids. And Abraham and Sarah are, are, are well past 70 years old and they still don't have any kids. And where they were in one season of life, willing to, to, to get up and go and follow wherever God leads, they get to this new season of life and they go frustrated and they stop being willing to wait on God and instead they get ahead of God. And what happens is, is Abraham's wife, Sarah, comes up to him and says, listen, I'm old. I know you would never say that because you love me too much, but I'm old. And I'm past the age of having kids. So I have a plan. 
why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and why don't you go be with her and try to have a kid that way? Now, if ever there was an appropriate moment for the meme from Star Wars to play in, it's a trap. This is it. It's a trap, Abraham. Don't do it. But Abraham is an idiot. And so what does Abraham do? Yes, ma'am. Whatever you say, baby. And so Abraham and Sarah's uh, servant, Hagar, they come together and Hagar gets pregnant. And upon hearing the news of Hagar getting pregnant, Sarah gets bitter and she gets jealous. A whole sequence of events takes place where Sarah basically kicks Hagar and her son out of the house, out of the tribe. Y'all got to go figure it out on your own. And God comes to Abraham and he says, listen, man, you, you didn't wait on me. And Abraham, Abraham's like, I know, I know, but do you know how old I am? And God says, I ain't concerned about how old you are because I made man by breathing my air into the dust of the earth. And God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham says, hey, God, here's an idea. I'm really old. I'm 99. My wife is 99. And um, how about we just go with Ishmael? Ishmael is the son that he has with Hagar. And God responds to this. And he says to Abraham this in Genesis chapter 17. He says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, the son he had with Hagar, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly and he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. Hold on to that. I'm going to come back to it. Verse 21. But my covenant, Abraham, the covenant that I've been talking to you about, the covenant that you and I agreed to in Genesis chapter 12, my covenant is not going to be established with Ishmael, the son of Hagar, whom you came to the point of having because you walked in disobedience. My covenant is going to be with you and the son you're going to have with Sarah. I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Now, the, the, the text is really interesting because it actually goes on to talk about how Sarah hears this and she starts laughing. And you would too if you were almost 100 years old and somebody said, you about to have a baby. About like that. And Abraham would have been laughing too, like, uh-uh, I don't think you understand how this works, God. I mean, I love my wife and everything, but, you know, her clock broke. It ain't ticking, it's broke. He says, Abraham, listen, you're gonna have a son about this time next year. What's going on here? Sarah does get pregnant. She does have a son, they name him Isaac. Isaac has two sons. One of them's name is Jacob. Jacob goes on to have 12 sons. After his sons are born, God renames Jacob from Jacob to Israel. And the nation of Israel is born. And the land that God promised Abraham that we just read about to your descendants forever, 
is the land that God would later establish, later on in the Bible, would establish the bounds of the land that is the land geography that belongs to Israel. The same nation of Israel that exists today, the same land that they live in, is the land that God promised them. If you study the nation of Israel, you know there's all kinds of crazy history with that. But God promised this land to Israel forever. What about Ishmael? Ishmael was promised by God that God would make him a great nation as well. Ishmael goes on to become the father of the the Arabic nations. Not only that, the prophet Muhammad from from the faith and the religion of Islam is a direct descendant from Ishmael. Ishmael goes on to become not only the father of the Arab nations, but indirectly become the father of the Islamic faith. In these three verses in Genesis chapter 17, we find the origins of the Middle Eastern conflict that has been waging for thousands upon thousands of years. It all stems, unless you believe that what you do and the decisions you make do not have consequences, the conflict that has been waging throughout the world where the epicenter is in the Middle East stems from a decision where Abraham and Sarah chose to no longer walk by faith, but instead chose to walk by sight. They said, it doesn't make sense that God would do it this way. Instead, we're gonna do it this way. God allows them to conceive and have a child. God says, listen, it's not the child's fault that this has happened, so I'm gonna bless the child. But the source of the conflict comes all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael. Right here in Genesis chapter 17. Despite all of this, God does in fact deliver on his promise to Abraham in Genesis 12. Israel does become a great nation. The people of Israel do become blessed and the people and the nations throughout the course of history that have blessed Israel have been blessed by God. And throughout the course of history, the people and the nations that have cursed Israel have been cursed by God. But what about the last part of the promise that God made? You remember what God said in Genesis 12, uh, 3b, when he said, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How did God deliver on that? We don't find the answer as directly responded to in the scriptures until we get all the way into the New Testament in the book of Galatians chapter three, when it says this, now to Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made. He does not say into seeds. Notice the difference between, well, you can't see it here, but if, you had, if you're reading in the Bible, the word seed is capitalized. The word seeds, plural, is not capitalized. This is significant. And it says, as of many, but as of one, into your capital S seed, who is Christ. You see, the ultimate payoff that God brings to Abraham, that his descendants would be like the dust on the earth. And later on, he's called, refers to as the number of stars that are in the sky. The ultimate payoff about how all the families of the earth would be blessed would not happen for 42 generations until Jesus has, comes into the scene. He is born of a virgin named Mary. He is fully God and fully man. He would die on a cross for the sins of humanity. And when before he, as he, after he came back from the grave, he would would go back up into heaven. And as he did, he sent 12 men who had about a hundred other people that were with him. And he said, listen, go be my witnesses into all the earth and tell people about me. 
And the name of Jesus has spread into nearly every single corner of the globe. And by the family of Abraham, the, the nations and the people of the earth have been blessed by the people who are followers of Jesus, who live not for themselves, but live for Christ. They live not for their own righteousness, but for the righteousness of Christ, who live not for their own sake and their own well-being, for the, for the sake of others and for the well-being of others. The people and the nations of the earth have been blessed. And this weaves together 4,000 years of human history. And it can be interesting. It's a neat historical lesson. But perhaps you're here today going, that's great. Thanks for the history lesson, preacher man. Um, What does that have to do with me? Let me help draw the connection. When we go back to the commands that God gave Abraham, God essentially gave Abraham two commands. The first command in Genesis 12 was essentially get up and go. Do you remember that? Get up and go. Depart from this place to the place that I will show you. Leave your, leave your region, leave your family, leave your father's house. The second command that God gave Abraham was hold on and wait. We saw that in Genesis 15 in the conflict between um, him and his wife Sarah having a child and instead him and Hagar having a child. God gives these two commands, get up and go or hold on and wait. And here's what's gonna happen. In your journey with God, as you follow him, as you ask questions, as you bring your your hardships and your difficulties and your insecurities and your questions, when you bring all that to the table, there's gonna be times where God is gonna intersect into your story. And at times he's gonna say, get up and go. At times he's gonna say, hold on and wait. What do we do in those moments? If you hear God say to you, get up and go, what do you do? Obey quickly and follow closely. Say, okay, God, if you're leading me from this place to some other place, I don't need to know the destination. If you are calling me, I'm gonna obey you. I'm gonna follow you. And the goal is that we would follow so closely after Jesus that it would be like as soon as his foot lifts up off the ground, our foot steps into his footprint and that we're following after him. We're trying to stay close to him so that we don't lose sight of where he's leading us. And along the way, it will be one step of obedience after another where we're gonna have to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you lead. I'll follow. But if you hear, hold on and wait, then obey quickly and don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of where God is going. If God has not given you wisdom, if God has not given you direction, if God has not given you clarity, if God has not given you permission, if, if you have not clearly heard the voice of God speaking to you and leading you from the place that you're at, don't get ahead of God. Don't go in front of God. That's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did when they got ahead of God and said, hey, we can do this better than God can. God's taking too long. I don't like my situation. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna take matters into my own hands. I'm gonna practice some initiative. But when you begin to act and live that way, you're no longer living by faith. You're living by sight. You're operating not out of faith of what God said. You're operating out of sight, out of what makes sense. And here's what you will find as you walk with God, that when you hear get up and go, when you hear hold on and wait, then you are going to learn a principle that goes something like this, that obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings consequences. This is a principle that we use when we 
are raising our kids. It's something that we talk a lot about in our house. And I can't tell you how many times that I, I say that word as I'm having a, a, a conversation with my kids and God goes, hello, hello, are you hearing yourself? And here's the deal. Obedience brings blessings and those blessings when God says, get up and go, or God says, hold on and wait, and you say, yes, Lord, those blessings are not always gonna be things measured by money. And you will not be the end of those blessings because God will almost always, every time God wants to bless you, he does it for the purpose of being able to bless through you to other people. And in those moments when God says, get up and go, or God says, hold on and wait, and you go, well, you know, I don't know, we'll see then the consequences of that decision and those actions will not only be consequences that you will live and feel and experience, but it will be consequences that those around you will live and experience. Obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings consequences. You see, what we learn from studying the life of Abraham is we learn how to follow by faith. And can I tell you something? There are ripple effects to our decisions to follow God. Sometimes the ripple effects are awesome and it's amazing and it's just like riding a wave and you're like, woohoo! Sometimes the ripple effects of following God, it's gonna be really hard. Sometimes as a part of the ripple effects of following God, it is gonna feel like all of hell is crashing in around you. But God says, I am with you. Do not be afraid. And when the decisions are made, not by us, but by loved ones, and they choose to live by faith, well, then sometimes it can just create a really bittersweet feeling. Such is the case with Pastor Chris. It's very bittersweet for me to bring news to you to let you know that Chris in the next few months is going to be leaving our staff at Discover Church. It's something that he has been wrestling with and praying through with his wife, Michelle. He and I have been talking about and wrestling through this for several months as well. Um, but the reason he's leaving is a good thing. Not because we're trying to get rid of him, but because God is clearly leading him and his family to a new step. And I don't want to spend any time and butcher the story. So I want to invite Chris. Chris, would you come and tell us a little bit about where God is leading you and where God is leading Michelle? Hopefully I make this through with uh, not a lot of tears shed. Um, as you guys know, many of you know my, my personal story, my testimony. And the last five to six years, God has really had us on this amazing path. And, and so as Jaron was talking this morning, and, and I didn't know anything that he was going to say, I just... I felt it just resonated with my life. You know, here about six years ago, after 20 years of um, sitting in business and, you know, I resided in my hometown, I was living where I was comfortable, where I was born and raised, uh, we felt like God was calling us um, to Haiti. And so we sold everything we owned, we sold our house, and Michelle and I and two boys and eight suitcases went off to Haiti to the mission field. And talk about a big leap of faith, that was a big leap of faith. And after about a year and a half, we felt like God was calling us home. He brought us to Iowa. And then even coming to Kansas City to join Discover in the midst of COVID, we had never even attended a service, had not really even met anybody. We said yes to God and, and relocated to Kansas City. And, um, and so our whole life, last five or six years, 
has just been an amazing journey and, and I can resonate. It's been a blessing and there's been some really hard times. But every single step of the way, we felt like God was with us and things just worked out and doors opened. And although it was difficult, we just kept saying yes to what God was calling us to do and we kept taking that step of faith. And so here a, a few months ago, I start, started really wrestling with this aspect of what does it truly mean to discover purpose and calling in order to make a difference. And God was just working so hard on me and I, and I just felt him saying that it was time to step back out of the church and back into the business community. And what's really interesting about this, and I was thinking about just this morning is, when I went to the, the elders at Summit Church, was our home church, and I said, hey, I'm thinking that God's calling me to Haiti and it just astounded everybody. I read to them in that meeting, Hebrews 11:8. And so it's just really ironic that this morning, as we're talking about stepping out of the church and going back into the business community, we're talking about Hebrews 11, 8. And so I'm sitting there and I'm saying, man, God's call is all over this. And so I've just felt this nudging. And so a few months ago, I did, I came to Journey again and I said, man, I just got to let you know what, what God's calling me and, and Michelle to do and, and what it looks like. And so we've wrestled through this. We've talked a lot. I, I can't express the amount of support that Jernigan has given me through all of this. Um, just his understanding and wisdom. And, and we've even talked a lot about how we're really on God's mission together. It just, you know, in one way you can be called to the church and one way you can be in the community. But let me, let me tell you this. As, as I've sat on a church staff and now I'm going back there, there is not one piece of that that is any more important than the other or one is that is lesser than the other. We all have a, a part in this war that we're facing and we're just playing different parts of it. And so, yes, Michelle and I are going to a new ministry. We are going into the business world and, and we're not leaving the church. That's the big thing. You're still gonna hear us on, see us on Sundays. We're just kind of figuring out what that's gonna look like. But if anything... I don't feel like this has anything to do, and listen to me when I say this, this has anything to do with us leaving the church by any means. If anything, this is us supporting the vision to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time and supporting the mission of discovering purpose and calling. My purpose now in calling to make a difference is to make a difference in the business community again. But here's what I think is what's even more amazing about this is, is that we feel this call to be what I'm calling on the front lines of ministry, being in the community. How can I impact people that, that are outside of the church walls? How can I be there? And I was talking to a guy uh, about a week and a half ago who's from Chicago, and he was originally a youth pastor who had gone to the business community. And, and the business that we're opening, the primary employees are students and, and college-age students, are, are young people. And he looked at me and he said, Chris, think about this. You get to be a youth pastor to kids who probably would never have stepped foot in a church. And when he said that, man, it sunk in my soul and just sat there. And I said, that's, that's the why. That's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to step out and impact a group of kids who might not have ever had the opportunity to see and know Jesus. These are kids who, you know, are dealing with depression and anxiety and suicidal tendencies and peer pressure. And I, and I called, and, and it sat there for a couple of days and I came back around and, and ran across this guy again. And I said, man, 
you have impacted my life. You told me what God's calling us to do. And it was just amazing. And so I called my wife on the way home from this trip. And I said, here's our why. This is what he's doing. He's telling us to get out of the church and get in the community and impact people right there. This is what our calling is. This is how we're going to make a difference. And I go to Colin and I say, Colin, it's the bridge. If you don't know the bridge, it's because we're bridging the church into the community and the community back into the church. That's what he's doing with students. And I looked at Colin, I said, how do I know I'm not that bridge now? That I'm not that conduit that you can not only impact kids, but we're going to impact their families as well. So we're super excited about this. I mean, this is really feels like, you know, we're taking that step last week. You know, Jernigan talked about it and he said, you know, what's God calling you to do? Remember that? What's God calling you to do and take that step of faith? And that's what we're doing. That's what we feel like we're doing. So I just ask for your prayers as we make this transition. It's still going to be a couple months. Um, it'll probably be two to three months. I think Jern's hoping it's about another year and a half that I stay on staff. But it'll be a couple months, so I'm still going to be around for a while. But my main goal when I talked to Jernigan was the goal here is to transition well and make sure that we do this right. And so I covet your prayers. I thank you for that. And, and uh, I'm, I'm happy that we can bring this and and. Honestly, I just once again think about the scripture you're talking about this morning. And I was just sitting there and this wasn't planned. I was like, how crazy does God work that the day that he called me from the business community into ministry is the same exact scripture that he's calling me from, from church back into the business community. It's all about taking steps of faith and doing what God's calling you to do. And this is, it's not, I mean, we're taking a risk here. I'm going to tell you, we're taking a risk. This isn't an easy step, but this is what God's calling us to do. And so we're super excited about it. We're scared and we're nervous and it's a risk, but you know what? When God's with you, I mean, you know, someone told us when we went to Haiti, there's no better place than to be in the middle of God's will. And that's what we're doing. So thank you guys for, for take, uh, allowing me to take time this morning. Go ahead. Chris, we love you, man. We're going to be praying for you and Michelle. So let me answer a couple questions. What, what does this mean for the church? Um, and what does this mean for what we're doing? Well, number one, let me just say this. My greatest desire, my greatest aim as a pastor is to see people do what God has gifted them, wired them, and called them to do. And sometimes that means working in the church. Sometimes it means working in, in, the, in the, uh, the ministry workplace, or I'm sorry, the, the, the marketplace. Um, and I, I kind of refer to it this way. Listen, it, we are all, as followers of Jesus, we are all pawns on his chessboard. Some of us just have different places to play. And so I'm excited for Chris. I'm excited for Michelle as they do this. I'm bummed for us as a church, as a, as a, as a pastor, and uh, frankly, as a leader, because now we have to, you know, replace Chris, and that's going to be really, really, really hard to do. Um, but as Chris alluded to, what's the time frame? Well, it, not exact. We don't know exactly sure. It's going to be in the early fall time frame. Here's what we have decided and what we've kind of agreed to. Chris has said, man, I want this transition to be great for the church. And so I want to be able to stick around long enough so that I can make sure that when I leave, the, the, the stuff is handed off well and things are taken care of. And I kind of said to him, I was like, well, man, I want to make sure that this works out great for your family. I'm not just going to fire you now and, you know, Go figure it out. Like we want to, we want you to continue to, to walk with you as long as we can until you need to take that step of separation so that you can take the big plunge into what you're doing. 
I also um, uh, want you to know this. If you've been around since we started talking about uh, Never Settle back in the early spring, we talked to you about how um, we were looking to and we began the process to identify someone to join our staff um, to be with us for about a year so that we can send them out to launch a new campus um, in the near future. Um, we're still planning to do that. We still feel like God is leading us to do that. Chris's departure means that we've adjusted a little bit of, of, of what we're looking for from a skill set standpoint. Um, we've also shuffled a little bit of the responsibilities across our staff uh, to make sure that we can um, minister to the church well. The last thing I want you to hear me say is this, is that, um, at least on this issue, is, is that uh, I've been in ministry for uh, a little over 15 years now, and I've seen lots of people come and go from the staff and the leadership of a church. And here's what I've learned. Every single time that there was a separation between a staff member and a church, and, and a, and a church staff, that God was truly orchestrating, that God was truly leading, Every single time that God was the one who was initiating that process, both the church and the person who was leaving for a new adventure were better off because of it. And I'm just praying and believing that as Chris and Michelle take this step, that God's gonna bless them immensely, that God's gonna use them to impact our city in a way that's different than what, what he was doing as a member of our staff. But God's gonna use Chris and Michelle in a new way to see our city changed by Jesus one life at a time. And I'm just praying and believing that God's gonna bring the next person to join our staff. That They're not gonna replace Chris, that's impossible. Nobody can do dad jokes like him. Nobody can crunch numbers and spreadsheets like him. Nobody can organize small groups like him. Nobody can love and serve the people of our church like he does. But I'm believing that God's gonna bring someone new that's gonna be just what we need for this next season. And so it's bittersweet. I'm happy for them. I'm bummed for us. But I believe that God is in this and I believe that this is where God is orchestrating. So to Chris and Michelle, I love you. I'm so proud of you guys for listening to the Lord. There's a million reasons why you could find excuses to not do this. But I'm proud of you for choosing to model the type of faith that we've been studying. And that you're choosing to follow by faith the way that Abraham did. And in this situation, it's get up and go. And you have done what we talk about as a church with our core value of follow Jesus. We lay our yes on the table. We throw caution to the wind. We hold nothing back because there's no plan B. And as your pastor, I'm so proud of you for doing that. And we as a church family are gonna be praying for you and we're gonna support you as you go through the process. And church, I believe that God is leading us forward. I believe that God wants to use you So let me ask you today, this is Chris and Michelle's next step. We've talked about a number of next steps that Abraham and his wife took. Let me ask you this question today. What's your next step? Is there something that God has been telling you to get up and go about? Or is there something that God has been telling you to hold on and wait? Is God telling you, come follow me, follow me this direction? Or is God telling you, don't get ahead of me? Wait on me. Whatever it is, what is your next step? And if you're here today or maybe you're tuning in online, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, can I tell you today that if you have not experienced the profound power of the love of God and the grace of God through Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected from the grave to be your hope, to forgive you of your sins, 
and give you a fresh start, then might I suggest to you today that that is your next step. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.